Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am speaking with, I got like a laundry list of titles, superlatives and all of this for you. But I have performer, creative director, facilitator, collaborator, teacher, and so on. Uh, Sharina Christmas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Robert. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for coming on. And um, I, I, I realized like the last few people I've interviewed, it's um, small world. So we, we have a we have a similar thing going on. We, we both um, spent time <laughs> at Morgan State University. So I don't know how I missed you because I feel like we're in the same like age groups. So we were probably there at the same time and we were in the same building. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably have seen you there. I was definitely very um I was very, very uh, active with, like, I don't know if you know, remember Mr. Westery, Ken Westery. Um, I don't know if you did anything with like the, um, like the corporate, I was a corporate liaison for many of the, um, um, the corporations that used to come down and recruit. And then I also, I was president of the finance club. I was very active, especially towards my last, my last, uh, you know, time there. I just was really putting in the work. Um, But yeah, we probably saw each other, you know, but I was definitely doing a lot of things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, the only ma- the major thing that I have attached to me, I was in the um, the initial like program for the grade school um, honors program, so I was in that, that first class for that um, back in '03, and I was like the only male to finish all four years, and I was like, all right, put that feather in my cap, you know? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, we probably definitely saw each other, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I got some questions. I want to get into it, but. Uh, Let's let's go like really general. What's what's your background? Describe your work and the mission of the various uh, <laughs> the various areas you're involved in. Right. So I um, yes, I have a lot of uh, things that I do, but um, I am a creative. Uh, I'm a mother. I'm a cultural worker. You know, I am a um, anti-imperialist. <laughs> you know, I am a, a innovator, and um, just my background has kind of come really just from the universe, I like to say, because it's not something that if you saw me at Morgan State and said, Sharena, would you be running a ballet school? Would you be working in the arts in Baltimore? I would have probably said no, because I grew up doing ballet at Dance State of Harlem, which is a prestigious uh, institution. And I really was just like bogged down from being a ballerina from age three to the time I got to Morgan. So I was like, nope, I'm not going back into dance. I didn't join a dance team. I didn't take a class for four years, actually. Um, But, you know, once I graduated from Morgan and I remember going to the YMCA in Druid Hill and it reminded me so much of Harlem. And so I said, you know what, I could probably volunteer to teach ballet, you know, a time or two. You know, it's not a big deal. And then next thing you know, that turned into me creating a, a ballet school then I created a nonprofit and, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, just doing a lot of work in the community because the community reminded me so much of the way I grew up. And my mother is actually a community activist, which I actually, when I was younger, I hated it. I didn't like that my mother was out here like marching and, and you know, making sure I'm like, Ma, can we just, you know, I was embarrassed, you know, <laughs> and then I find myself doing the exact same thing. I'm a person, I'm an advocate for my people. And I do that creatively. I do that. And I mean, it's a long history, you know, even coming from Harlem, but it's a long history of artists and creatives really being the voice and being the catalyst for messages to get out when things need to change. So 
all the work that I do, um, my background, the way I was raised, me growing up in a prestigious, you know, ballet, black ballet school, dance theater hall, even the way that that was founded by Arthur Mitchell after Dr. King was assassinated, he was literally on his way to do a ballet in Brazil. And he, you know, King was assassinated and he said, I have to go back home. So, you know, I come from that ethos, not knowing that when I was in my early twenties, I would start something, but it's like being around that type of, those types of things really helped to develop you. So, you know, and then going to Morgan State changed my life too, because like I was mentioning to you, I don't know if you uh, remember, like I said, Ken Westery, shout out to him. Cause he, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be outgoing. Cause he was the one that challenged me to become the president of the finance club. And I was like, wait, cause I actually wanted to go to Goldman Sachs for this internship opportunity. And he was like, well, you need to become more active and need to, you know, form a presence as a leader. And I was like, okay, I thought I could just go. And he's like, nope, I'm going to challenge you. And from him challenging me, it really pushed my limits as a, a person that was dwelling in a world that I was, that I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with business owners, you know, right. I didn't grow up in that space, but I didn't grow up being in a corporate setting. So it was like pushing myself there really helped me to, do, to be who I am today. It just, everything, everything came together. It was almost like another, you know, upbringing that I had coming to Baltimore and then, you know, also going to Morgan State. So it's just, it's been good. It's been a blessing, I'd say. Not easy, but a blessing. <laughs> that's that's great. And uh, going, I, like, I don't know if the, if the same thing applies for you, but I think it's kind of, I got, I kind of saw some parallels in upon like my graduation from Morgan and maybe in yours, I don't think either of us are in that field that we may have gone to Morgan for. I don't know how much finance stuff you're doing. And I'm in a, I'm in like higher ed and in data analysis now, which when I came out, I was in like, I was in like corporate marketing and burnt out very early and had to make a shift and got really interested in like these kind of more creative areas and just seeing like I was there and then I shifted to something like, like kind of very different in a short period of time upon graduating, but coming out initially with this kind of, I'm going to go into corporate America and I'm going to kill it. What right. were your thoughts like making that transition or was it that transition from doing something that may have been more corporate because you said you had that interest in one of the, um, was the, the big three um, and you're in a different space now. Like how, how was, how did that work, work out? So I did end up going into the corporate arena. I worked with my, my internship, for my last summer was at Goldman Sachs. That's when they purchased Bear Leeds and Kellogg's and I was working on the floor of um, of the New York Stock Exchange. And this is like a couple of years after 9-11. So it was just a dark, dark day down there. And also just being like the only black woman, black young woman working on the New York Stock Exchange and working like in futures and doing all these things. I thought it was what I really wanted to do, but it was a hard summer. And, you know, this was when, you know, the market was just not doing well. And, you know, a couple of folks, mentors or people that I tried to seek out to be my mentors just told me, like, you need to go back to Baltimore. Like, well, you're going to be laying off people. It's not looking good. You know, this is this is what it's going to be. So, you know, I, I did end up working, you know, for Goldman Sachs. But my job that I ended up with was at Citigroup. And I was in their management associate program, which I really wanted to get into because they they house you in New York for a period of time and then you can choose where to go. It was a great it was a great program. However, again, you know, you you're a young person, you're like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. And then you get into the space 
and I hated it. I hated every aspect of it. It just wasn't me. Um, but I, you know, I excelled at it. That was the thing I excelled in finance, but it was just not who I was at the core of who, you know, of, of just my being. So, you know, I'd say that for me, you know, naturally transitioning into being an entrepreneur, which is another thing that I did not know that word. I wasn't like, you know, we just business owners, you know, so many things have changed with language now, but anyway, entrepreneur, that's just not language that I grew up hearing. So starting my own ballet school, you know, in the midst of still working was something that I just poured my all into. And I learned a lot of hard lessons, but, you know, from that, you know, putting in that work at such a young age, you know, afforded me this opportunity to just be able to support and and have clear vision and also just be able to evolve and, you know, maneuver in so many ways. So, yeah, I mean, I left the corporate arena um, about three years, three and a half years after I started, my parents was really concerned, like, what the heck? (laughs) I was like, this is not for me. This is, and I was so sure about it. I was so sure about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like very, very similar thing where I think I did the four and a half, five years and you had that, that, that was that bubble. We were in a highly unionized environment and we were in the middle of like the second, I think in the uh, just under five years I was there. At, um, I was at Verizon. I was a uh, marketing uh, analyst for like Verizon and doing a marketing rotational program, moving place to place and eventually figuring out where I wanted to place out at. And I finessed it in such a way that it was either New Jersey or like home with the same pay rate. And I was just like, I'm just going to stay in Baltimore. I'm staying in like Hunt Valley and did that whole thing. And I was like, this is wild. And then we had in the, the almost five years, two different work stoppages and they started laying off people. And it was just like, I burned out on that. And I was like, I don't think I really want to go back into this space. I think I want to do something different and try living that. Um, I looked at it as more of a kind of artist lifestyle. It's like just doing anything that really just caught my interest, whether it be in uh, like audio, whether it be writing, whether it be painting, any of these different things that piqued my interest that I attained like the resources for from the job, but didn't have the time to really delve into. Right. And you know, my, my parents are looking at me really weird. Just like, what are these choices you're making? I was like, eh, you know, life. <laughs> so speak a little bit on the reality of like living out your passions. So, yeah, the reality of living out my passions. Um, I don't know. I think that <laughs> when I first started, when I first started the ballet school, of course, I was so passionate about it. I was like... I could see these little girls looking, you know, like myself. I could see myself in them. Like I said, being in Druid Hill, YMCA, um, and then eventually moving over to UB Blake Center. So I've been at UB Blake Center for 15 years now. But, um, you know, moving over into a space that reminded me of the way I grew up. So, like, I was just heavily passionate about it. But, you know, living out my passion is really about helping my people. Like, that's what I'm passionate about. So the work that I do as a creative person. And um, like I said, I don't even really like use that term all the time, but it's really more so a cultural worker because I'm always evolving. But, you know, specifically the work that I do around working with the young people in the arts with dance. And then also, you know, and actually with my dance school now, I don't even run it. My former student who became a teacher, she runs the school now, but 
the program that I really am able to live out my passion through is my New Generation Scholars Program, where I travel internationally with youth to study the African diaspora. And we've been doing that for 13 years. And what I find most uh, fulfilling about that work is not just seeing the young people's eyes light up, but also seeing myself, you know, um, kind of in search of being whole as an artist. So as a person that is creating or a person that's giving back. So it's like traveling to these different countries, learning about, you know, other cultures that are very similar to us as black people living in America, you know, it's, it just kind of pieces things together, especially like our history is so fragmented here, you know, at times, but, you know, so that's really kind of what has helped me really tap into my passion. Um, you know, my passion of seeing how the arts and culture can just transform a community and also keep a community together, you know, can also keep people going. And that's the thing in other countries, the arts and culture is so necessary. It's like not even a question. It's like it's necessary in terms of and they show it because it's not just saying that it's necessary. They show you that it's necessary, you know, Yeah. because, so, <laughs> you know, we love like everybody loves the arts, but they don't want to pay you for nothing. You know what I'm saying? But it's, it's <laughs> different. So for me, it helps me to change my mindset, which I, I've never really had that mindset, especially going to Dance Theater Harlem and Alvin Ailey. But, you know, I have a, I have a mindset of, you know, this can happen. So I don't have a lot of barriers when it comes to like living out my passion. You know, I don't. Um, and also, I don't seek a lot of um, westernized affirmation. I don't seek, you know, nowadays things are so different with this era, you know, with social media and stuff like that. So I'm really kind of in that space of like that authentic, you know, mode of pushing my passion forward through the work that I do, you know, and then just coming over to BCAN, which I've been there for now almost three years in January, 2021, but, you know, coming over to BCAN to use my business skills and my creative skills was just like a no, no brainer, you know, and to help other entrepreneurs work through their, um, their kinks, you know, or help them, yeah. to, you know, think about things or help them just to get to the next level. So it's just like my passion is like, it's not, it's, I've realized over the years that my passion is not one thing, but my passion is definitely to support people and help people. And, um, you know, and just to see myself developing the next generation, you know, of, of young um, black folks, particularly, you know, in this city, but beyond it, because it is so, it's so super important you know, in, in this day and time. So that's, that's just what I'm so passionate about. I'm always studying. I'm always, you know, watching things. I'm always working in my lab. You know, I'm always doing that way because it's like, it's, that's what feeds my soul. That's, that's great. Especially like the, the thing that I keyed in on was, you know, that one of the things that I keyed in on is that, you know, art is important here, quote unquote, but we don't give it that reverence and that we, we, we don't speak the language that it, we don't speak a language that it says art is important. We'll say that it's important in a lip service sort of way, but we don't really acknowledge artists of like, you're contributing to culture. You're contributing to what makes life worth living in some, in some respects. And I think one of the things I try to do with this more from the cultural side of things in doing this podcast is you know, over the last few years, we you hear these different messages and this podcast came out of just a lot of negative things said about Baltimore City. And it's like, we got a lot of talent here. We got a lot of unique things sitting here in this city, in my opinion, is no better or worse than any other city. But the city is also 66% Black. And, 
you know, it makes sense for certain parties to say really wild negative things in this kind of coded way. And we're not investing in what makes this city what it is. So people will come here, visit and, and vulture things. But then at the same time, you know, we don't acknowledge that component of it. We don't acknowledge those contributions there. Mm-hmm. We just kind of try to take from it. And I was like, I want to show we got more than just sound bites and negativity that are coming from outsiders. Mm-hmm. And in this podcast specifically, I want to say this may be like the 40th or 50th episode. I don't remember at this juncture, but it's been mostly transplants. People who've chosen to come here, whether it be for school, whether it be for a job, and they've stayed. It's like, look, this reminds me of this place. This reminds me of that place. And you rarely hear that. You rarely hear that from people. And it's it's always rewarding to kind of hear that, that, that kind of normalized conversation about this city. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You also touched on like your like working with your people and, and supporting well our people rather and mm-hmm. what are what are maybe two to three things that you want for like black creatives like that are that are here and abroad um, well let's just say abroad just in general mm-hmm. what, what are you looking for specifically um, for for those black creatives it would it be hey access to things to fund your passions what, what do you say you're looking for for them. The most important thing for that I hope for our, for Black creators is for them to develop a level of self-awareness and um, tap into the ethos that lives within all of us. And I, I know that may seem general because people are like, well, they do that. And no, they don't. A lot of folks, we, you know, we're really bogged down by Western affirmations, which means that, you know, we're waiting for a museum to pick us up or we're waiting for, unfortunately, a thousand likes on our picture. On social media. <laughs> you know, we're really waiting for that. But I, I really hope that we can connect with one another. We can learn about, you know, we can learn about the diaspora as a whole, you know, internationally. That's what I mean. Um, you know, and, and really tap into our own personal history, because that was what makes our work more profound and connected. If you and if you are a business, that helps as well. And then secondly, I'd say access to, you know, capital access to to, to money that that has no barriers. So for me, someone asked me, I was on a panel on Saturday and they asked me about, you know, what's my end goal. And my end goal would be to develop a fund. I do have a fund right now, necessary tomorrow's creative um, fund. And I gave out about $5,000 for, for COVID, but, you know, I'd love to be able to fund black creatives on a large scale. And in, in, in addition to that, help them to form a circle of critique. So what that means is that, you know, if I have a business and you say, well, Sharina, I came to the dance school, didn't have a great experience. Or let's say if you're a funding, you say, I came to the dance school and I'm mm-hmm. any other, or I came to your business for, you know, your art, you know, your art, um, cura- you know, curatorial practice. And you don't give me the funding, but, you know, there's also a circle of critique where you say, well, this is kind of why I didn't give you the funding. And this is what you can do to be better. Not just completely cutting people off because there's a, there's a level of abuse that happens with capital um, when you're raising funds. That's very, very cold and very opposite of who we are, like how we do things as a people. So we take it personally and people say, oh, don't take it personally. You know, there's a thousand businesses out there, which is true. But what would it look like if there was less barriers and there was a circle of critique so that you can get better? Um, And then, you know, like I said, you know, lastly, I'd say uh, just to be able to develop spaces that are um, 
that are imaginative, meaning that they do don't do not look like spaces that don't welcome us. That is where we make a huge mistake. <laughs> like you think you're going to create the next Goldman Sachs, but why not create what it looks like for you to fund your folks or for you to help them develop personal financial wealth or, you know, what it looks like for you to develop a store that caters to, I don't know, window design, you know, just go for it, you know, because that is something that, you know, if anything we can learn from, um, our history is that, you know, many of our, our folks that have come before us, our ancestors, you know, if you look at like just some of the design, how advanced design is in Africa, like it's way ahead of us. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, it's also a country like you talked about Baltimore being negatively, you know, um, perceived Africa. Nobody thinks about that. I mean, except for the folks that are in the creative fields, they, they should know. But the level of design and technology that was created, you know, from ancient times, like those are things that were you know, imagined and tested. So I hope that, you know, for us as black creatives in a city that is, which is beautiful because Baltimore is, I feel like it is unlike a lot of other cities because it's first of all, it's one of the last standing black cities. Um, And it's just, it's just one of those like hometown cities. And I love that. And I'm from New York. So it's definitely different from New York, but I would say that coming from Harlem or coming from like a certain neighborhood is similar, but I would say like, again, you know, being in a city like this, there's an amazing opportunity to develop something that is your own aesthetic, you know? So I really hope that for a lot of, a lot of folks, but like I said, the key thing that that circle of critique is really important for us, collaboration and getting that funding going. You got it. You got it. Cause that takes people that pushes you light years ahead when you are able to, and if you're self-aware, then you, the critique part will be much easier. <laughs> you yeah. know? But if you're not, then the critique part is like, I didn't see that. And I don't see how that's possible. And then you find yourself back at the same situation. So. Yeah, it, it like some of that, that process when you're out there and you're, you're looking for, for feedback and those, those Western affirmations and what have you, and the way that we're designed of, this like or this share or whatever it means something and somehow it sometimes gets you disconnected from what your purpose is and even doing the thing that you're interested in whether it be what's the thing that drives you so I always try to go back to you know like I I view podcasting and my approach to it in an artistic sort of way so if I and I look at it as communication. How can I get this out there? How can I help amplify voices that may not have the opportunity and tell an interesting story, being a storyteller in that way. And then I'll talk to other people and, you know, who are also podcasters and we'll, you know, chop it up and see like, okay, where are you at? What are you doing? Do you need any help here? And usually it's people that kind of look like me to, to help them along in their path or what have you, because I've been podcasting for almost 12 years and you'll hear, well, how many downloads you have? How many of this, how many of that? And it's like, this is where your focus is at, but your shows are not particularly good. They're, you're, you're damaging what the purpose of what you're doing is. Like, I thought this was about the community and I thought this was about this area and that area, but you're talking about entanglements. You're talking about, you know, these kind of pop culture things and you're doing it for the likes. Right. That's, that's not, <laughs> there's no substance coming from that. It's, you know, unless that's what you're doing, but there's no real substance coming from that. What makes what you're doing different? How are you contributing? And I say all of that to like, it's, it's a reminder for me of like, you kind of can easily fall into that trap of, damn, this didn't get a lot of likes or a lot of downloads. What yeah. can I do next time to make that better? So getting feedback from people or getting consideration from people that um, you may value and like, all right, you're on the same page with me. 
And it's like, all right, that's something that is worth more than a thousand anonymous likes or a like and no feedback. I think when you're reaching for that, it's almost like getting ghosted on like a dating site or something. You're like, oh, I I don't know what I didn't do right here. Yeah, no, really. It's true. It's very true. It's it's kind of wild, the socialization of things now. (laughs) So. Uh, so I had a, had a few more questions and then I'll give you back the rest of your day. And again, thank you for agreeing to do this because I, I feel like gems are being thrown here. Usually when I go back and listen, I'm like, all right, I can benefit from this selfishly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you, you touched on, um, necessary tomorrows a bit, um, share how your relationship with the arts community has changed since starting necessary tomorrows and muse 360. Yes, it has changed so much. So, you know, when I first started Muse 360 and the dance school and the travel and the, you know, young people stuff, you know, I had a different um, mindset. And but again, I say the universe chose this path because Necessary Tomorrows was not something that I was thought of either. And so Necessary Tomorrows came about from um, I was doing work on Ida B's table. I was part of the operations team. And, you know, they kind of I was like really saying to myself, like, what more? can I do here? You know, because we were almost at the end and they said, well, what, what do you, what kind of role do you want to play? And I said, well, I'll help with some of the design, like some of the permanent art installation elements. And so like, if, if you ever go to our IDB's table, the, the, um, when you walk into like the vestibule, I, um, helped to work on that and design that. Um, we are also, and that was designed by, um, well formatted by Rodney, um, Herring. And then part of their parlor room, we have like a, a book, installation. And then I worked with Ernest Shaw, who's an amazing artist, to commission two pieces. And then I said, well, you know what? I would love to curate shows here because I think it's a, it's a new restaurant. It'd be a good way for artists to sell and show their work. So we started um, in 2017, just with getting the restaurant open and things like that. And then the shows really just started to kick off. So Necessary Tomorrows, it was kind of my my way because I had already been working with artists so many times, right? Um, it's like as a dancer or as a choreographer or what have you. But I'm like, I know, I know so many artists. I'm like, I could ask them to come and show their work and then I can work with them on some of the technical aspects of making sure that they are able to sell their work. And that's what I did. I ended up producing 13 shows. Um, I worked with, at that one year, I worked with like 23 artists. Um, I sold like $15,000 worth of work, which honestly now where I'm at selling work is not a lot thinking back, but it was like a lot for these artists to have that opportunity to sell work. I worked with corporations to get artwork installed in their spaces. I paid the artists. It was just like, I redefined what, um, what cultural work looks like or what, what curatorial actually work. I don't like really like to use the word curator, but what that look, that work looks like in relation to artists, because artists had never, artists are not protected in that way. If you are a visual artist and someone says, Hey, I got a new, I got a new restaurant. Come put your work up. The person that owns the restaurant just want the work for, they don't care about like it getting damaged. They don't even think about that. But like for me to step in and make sure contracts were being signed, make sure insurance was in place, you know, make sure that we had a good catalog, make sure that we're presenting things professionally and then selling the work was just a development that again, me utilizing my business skills, but also my love for creatives. Um, So, you know, my relationship to the artist really is it's, it's like, it's almost like a, like building a huge community because if anybody, if you meet anybody and they've worked with me, they'll tell you 
I really connect with people on a deeper level. I don't just pull artists because your work is great. Like that's fine. But are you a, are you a person that really cares about your work? Are you clear about your work? Are you clear about the community that you're, you're putting it in? You know, so that, those are the values that I uphold when it comes to necessary tomorrows. So, you know, tra- and then I'm working with adults versus working with young people because Muse 360 is young people. So you know, the success of that has been amazing. We just rebranded. So if you go into our, our we have a website, we have an exhibition up right now called Immaterial Souls, and it's running through the 1st of January. And um, I actually got rebranded by another amazing creative, Glenford Nunez. So, you know, it's just like my relationship with artists. And so now to this day, I mean, I've worked with over 60 artists, and that's only been in three years, and I've sold almost $50,000 worth of work, you know, and a lot of the, the, you know, the work that we've been able to sell, it's not just about selling work. So, but it's also about the artists being able to make a living. And that's something that, that mindset of like making sure that you understand your self-worth is a conversation that I've had to have with a lot of artists. So, I mean, it's also grown me as a person and as a leader, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, um, it's almost like I become like the servant leader in a way where I'm working alongside the artist. And so also myself, it's grown me as an artist. Like I'm moving away from choreography, even though I'm choreographing something currently right now, but I am, um, I'm also becoming a textile artist. Like I have, I was going to have an exhibition in May, of course, not because of COVID now it's, it's, of course it got canceled, but I, I had some textile pieces that I was going to be exhibiting. I have a short film out right now. That's on my website. You know, I have another short film that I'm working on. So, you know, stepping, I wanted, I really wanted to challenge myself in 2017 to step into a space where I was an artist and that I developed deeper relationships with my peers, um, you know, in a different kind of way. So, yeah, it's, it's really evolved. And then, you know, working at Beacon, I tend to work with everyone that I know. So it's like, Hey, I know you. And, you know, so my community and my network is just vast and it's built off of integrity. And that's one thing that I really pride myself on is that I treat people, you know, with integrity. I'm fair. I will, you know, challenge you if a situation is not right. I don't just turn my eye. And I think that that's something that people can be uncomfortable with, which I understand, but uh, you know, it's also a way for us to grow, you know? So yeah, it's just changed a lot, but I'm, I'm very grateful and yeah, I hope, you know, like you get a chance to check out the exhibition, but it's online. So it's pretty, accessible. <laughs> it's free, but yeah. So, you know, just things have changed so much, but it's been really, really good. Really that's, good. that's wonderful. Um, and I think it's the thing that's very necessary. Um, I, I go back to, you know, some of the challenges I've faced and some of the conversations I've had during this podcast with different artists that are here in the various spaces that are, that are here in Baltimore or have at least some relationship to Baltimore and just some version of rep- representation, support, any of those things, people just think you create and then from there, you know, you get discovered and, you know, somehow you're making money and it's just like they can't see how these things are stitched together and what other components of maybe having a team or having someone that's just advocating for you and helping you and giving you like the direction, like point this person this way, someone to advocate for you. Cause uh, you know, I've had some of those conversations, you know, uh, interestingly enough with, with a few New Yorkers that I know. <laughs> and I'm it's sure. like, <laughs> it's like, yo, so, so Rob is your equipment insured. I was like, ah, Rob, do you have this? I was like, ah, and just kind of, you know, pointing me in the right direction and helping me kind of get better organized and, 
just, you know, figure things out because I find like a lot of times with creatives, they want to just do their thing and go and then do the next thing and go. And sometimes you, you need somebody to say, hold on for a second. Let me rein you in real quick. You can, you can do that. Don't stop what you're doing and all of that, but you should be doing more with this. You can be doing more with this and having a framework kind of there to show and prove. Right. And I think that's the thing that gets lost and you, you hear it all the time. Um, to see the, this would be a quick one. Um, and I, you may have touched on it actually, but what is your favorite artistic place? Maybe a place that you like just get inspired from that's in Baltimore. Yeah. So I, um, I actually have been driving. Uh, my son is um, homeschooled. We have a homeschool collective. That's all the way on the west side. I live by. I live right up the street from Morgan. Um, so when I'm driving down Pennsylvania Avenue at a certain like when you're driving down Pennsylvania Avenue, right when it, I think when it's like converting from Lib, like from um, either Liberty Heights or Rice's Town. You could tell I'm not from Baltimore because somebody be like, you know what that is. Anyway, <laughs> When you're riding down right by my diamond mall, when you start to get into, I think, Pennsylvania Avenue, when the sun is at, like, when it, in the morning, when the sun is fully, like, up and bright, yeah. there are some beautiful old school storefronts and auto shops there. And, I mean, this is a recent thing, but I've been recently really inspired by this sun um, that hits you as you're driving into Pennsylvania Avenue. And it just, it just takes me into a different time and space it takes me into a, a completely different time and space. And, you know, um, again, you know, a lot of times I feel like as black creatives and black artists, and I understand because the United States is tough, but it's like, we're always looking outside of ourselves. We want to get away from the hood. We want to get away. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's where the ingenuity is. And white folks mm-hmm. know, they know that because they go there and they be like, oh, I'm going to move here. And I'm going to, this is dope. And this is like, look, think about hip hop culture. Think about all the things that people are like, oh, that's in the hood. That's messy. That's this. <laughs> but it's like, when you look at it, when you think about it, you like, look at this. I mean, even the way that we speak, even the way that we, you know, that we walk, there's just so many things, so many inspir- inspiring things. And that's why I said for Baltimore to be one of the last standing, you know, you know, black cities, it's just, it's a real huge gift to an artist to be in this space. So, you know, like pulling away from that for me wouldn't make any sense. And even though I'm not necessarily from here, if you grew up in the, in the inner city, if you grew up from, you know, any, any inner city and you grew up in the deep South, if you grew up in a neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? That's predominantly yeah. black. You find a lot of similarities. So, but I would absolutely. say that space, is, that space is absolutely beautiful. I would also say like, one thing that I'm in constant awe of, and I think it might be because I'm from New York and I, we don't have it, but there is so much green space in Baltimore alone. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and green space to me is is wealth. It's wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at all of like Drew Hill Park, for example, if you ride down, I mean, like just this certain little, like even here by Morgan where Herring Run is, I mean, it's just, it's such a beautiful peaceful space so in a city that gets horrible you know it's like okay this that and the other but it's like you have these green spaces that you can go to that are free that are accessible you have streams of water and all these different things those those also bring me a lot of inspiration um so 
the green space is, is the thing I had a guest on recently, um, episode one of not too long ago, and we were just talking about the importance of uh, green space and just that's pretty much one of her biggest missions is like, look, we need to have more of this here. We need to like really invest our time and our energy in it because it's important. It's important for us. It beautifies the place and it's just positive energy floating around from it. And, you know, a lot of so a lot of people go out there into nature, get inspired, want to write, want to paint, want to draw, all of this different stuff. So having that is important. Um, and and one of the other things, the uh, it's an observation I've, I've looked at, especially during during um, COVID, and you know, just I, I I look at things broadly, but also I'm like, mm, you sneak this, and I know what you're doing, <laughs> and with all of the talk about some of the, the this and that, the, the dangerous, the the crime and so on here, it's just like, yeah, but you're steady building things in the city. So who's that for? You know, and I was like, I'm still seeing like residential places. Like I, I live over in the Middle East. So like, I'm not far from Hopkins Medical Center and I'm seeing all types of lofts go up. And I'm just like, I thought it was dangerous. It's like oh, a lot of people walking around with sandals on and so on. And I was just like, that's cool. <laughs> it's not real, but that's cool. Right, <laughs> you right. know, and it, I, the thing that always is is damaging when you go by a place and you're like, yeah, that's the building that's abandoned. It has that fire graffiti right there, that fire street art. And it's like, oh, it's towing down for like a terrible parking lot for some loft style living. And <laughs> that's the thing that I think people need to really keep an eye on and recognize when you're being sold this bill of goods and, you know, there's a mass exodus kind of the thing you were talking about with who's driving that culture, essentially to paraphrase, who's driving that culture and who's in the city and who has the impetus to move into the city to kind of reap the benefits of that culture. We're getting these messages of it's dangerous, move out, go into the County. (laughs) And I always side eye anybody in the County when they make the comparison between Baltimore city and the County specifically because it's like, there's no culture out there in the county. I was like, I'm going to be flat about it. It's no culture there. Like, Owens Mills is not, you know, West Baltimore. You know what I mean? I'm not getting anything from Owens Mills. Um, so that, that's that's that. Uh, my soapbox has now been moved. Oh, nice. I, I, yeah. uh, one last question. And this is the dance question. So, you know, I'm going to have to ask it. You mentioned it earlier, so now I have to ask it. I was going to dump it, but I'm going to have to ask it. Um so you've been a professional dancer in Harlem. You've performed ballet, taught dance. Do you watch dance movies? And if so, what are some of your favorite dance movies? <laughs> uh, so there's like a, a popular one, and I can't remember what it what exactly it is. Um, shucks, but it's it has um, Jamiroquai, who's one of my favorite artists. Jamiroquai has a song called Dance. Okay. And the movie basically has that at the end. So I can't remember exactly what it was, but I don't watch it a lot. But my favorite, 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 favorite is Bane. Really? I am Debbie Allen. Okay. Like, <laughs> I, okay. like fame is God is just, oh my God. That's like, I could watch that every day. Like I could watch that over and over again. Cause Debbie Allen is a force and I absolutely am so inspired by her. And I am definitely that tough dance teacher. Like, if you saw me in dance, you'd be like, Dang, Shrana, you're so different. <laughs> you're like, what's going on here? But, yeah, no, Debbie Allen, um, Fame is my absolute favorite. And I, I do watch a lot of, um, some of the some of the choreographers that I love, I watch a lot of their documentaries, you know, really to hear them talk about dance. Because, like, growing up in a ballet environment, even though I went to Dance to the Harlem, it was very innovative because of, you know, they particularly 
you know, they had this high prestigious school that was in Harlem, number one, and it was predominantly black and Latinx young people. But, you know, growing up in ballet, it's it's not, you know, sometimes if you just become a dancer and not a choreographer, if you don't go deeper, you don't really know what your work is about. I have to be completely transparent. So that's why that's kind of how I created the travel program, because I was a young dancer choreographing. I had a company here in Baltimore and I just wanted to go deeper into my movement. Like, what is this movement? Can I make up movement? You know, what is the history behind it? So listening to choreographers like Tally Beatty and Catherine Dunham and Pearl Primus, you know, their work goes so much deeper than just doing a high leg kick. You know, it's a lot of meaning behind it, you know? And so, um, and then, like I said, you know, of course, fame, because she's working with young people and she loves those babies. And that's me. Like, that is all me, you know? So, yep, fame. That's my favorite thing. Favorite, favorite, favorite. But yeah. And then also listening to and reading. I have like a lot of books as well, but reading and, and watching documentaries of the wonderful folks that came before me. Very I'm going to go out on a limb <laughs> with that movie with the Jamiro Choir song. Would that be center stage? Yes. Boom. Uh, Thank you. I, that. <laughs> I had to test my movie knowledge. I'm a movie guy. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was like, what is the name? But it was Center Stage because I just loved. Yeah, that was the one I definitely watched. You know, when I was younger. Yeah, that's fire. That's fire. Um, <laughs> so that's that's all I have. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Oh wait, I do want to promote one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a uh, shameless plug time. Actually, that's what I was going to get to. But I wanted to thank you again. Um, shameless plug. Uh, anything that's coming up, any um, website, social media, all of that stuff. Hit us up. Let me know. Yeah. So uh, one of the most important things um, is the BCAN um, Scale Your Passion. It's a two day workshop, virtual workshop that's taking place December 2nd and 3rd. And it's free to 40 Baltimore based creative entrepreneurs. It's going to be amazing. We have some wonderful folks lined up, but, you know, um, our creatives will be able to take, you know, classes and, and, you know, learning about their finances and their relationship to it, thinking about what their entity is, thinking about what their business model is, you know, things like that, talking about branding, um, building a team. So that is my biggest plug because it's important. 40 creative entrepreneurs, December 2nd and 3rd, and the application is open and they can go to baltimorecreates.org. Um, and then the other thing I already plugged was Immaterial Souls, which is a Necessary Tomorrows exhibition that is on our website, necessarytomorrows.com. But you can also follow me at Necessary Tomorrows on IG and also just, you know, follow me everywhere. News 360 on uh, on Instagram as well. Um, we have actually, uh, we're opening up our 14th season. So we're taking young people between the ages of 13 to 21 to do our study abroad program that's going to be starting October 24th. So I am very, very busy, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I want to give you that time back, because I'm like, you mentioned that. I was like, all right, you're busy. I, I just follow Necessary Tomorrow's right now. You'll be seeing my my face on there. So gang, gang, or what have you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. That, I, thank you. That's pretty much all I got. Um, this has been great. Yeah. So like I said, you know, um, definitely I appreciate you uh, interviewing me and for everyone listening, you can find one of the thousand things <laughs> that I do <laughs> either for you or for the artists on one of my pages. Um, and I can also send those pages to you too. So you can, if you need to have the, the actual um, 
if you need to, you know, have it like typed out or something. But yeah, yeah. got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, this this episode, um, let, let me do my sign off and then I'll give you the last. So um, this is Rob Lee for Shireen Christmas from everything in and around Baltimore. <laughs> um, but, you know, supporting the arts community and helping out everyone. Um, I want to thank you again. And I want to say there's truth and there's art in and around Baltimore. All you have to do is look for it.